take our Bibles and go to Luke 13. I'm sorry, Luke 11. We're going to go down through verse 13. As we continue our verse-by-verse study in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, looking down through verse number 13. We've already read it together responsibly, and I'll read it some as we go through as well, but we'll forego the, the, the full reading of it now since we just read it together. I want to give you uh, Jesus' instruction here on praying. His disciples come to him and ask, Jesus, teach us to pray. And so we find here not only those disciples' interest, but also Jesus' instruction and then his illustration in regards to our prayer. Let's pray together, then we'll go to the Word. Thank you, Lord, for time together with the church and the Word. We ask for your blessing upon this time. May you be glorified, and may we, your church, be edified through your Word. Holy Spirit, come now and do a work that only you can in our hearts. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse number one, we find Jesus praying, and when he stops, a disciple says to him, teach us to pray. Let's read that together. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And I want you to note as we begin this time considering praying, that this disciple comes to Jesus, who was a great preacher, but he doesn't ask him, teach us to preach. He comes to Jesus, who was a great miracle worker, but he doesn't ask him, teach us to perform miracles. As Jesus prays here, he comes to him when he's finished and says, teach us to pray. I also think it is unique that he doesn't say, teach us how to pray. That would be a very human conclusion. It would be a very human question to ask. How can I pray like you? I don't think they want a one, two, three guide here on this is how you should be praying. I think what the disciples' question implies is maybe we're already praying. Would Jewish people already have prayers? Would they already know how to pray? Oh, they would have had prayers for every occasion. They would have known what to pray when and how to pray it. But they noticed something different about Jesus, their rabbi, this man that they had forsaken all to follow. When he prayed, it seemed like he really prayed. When they prayed, it seemed like they just went through the routine of what you were supposed to do when you were praying. And so they don't say to Jesus here, teach us how to pray. He says, teach us to pray. In other words, teach us to be praying as you're always praying. The reference is given to John the Baptist here. It's unique that they go to John here because they're asking Jesus to teach them to pray. But then they said, John taught his disciples how to pray. So would you teach us to pray as well? My children do that to me at times. Dad, can I have this? And they'll say, well, no, or I can't afford that, or I'm not going to get you that, or you could save up your money. And usually if they've been to church that morning, they will say, yeah, but so-and-so has it. And this is sort of what the disciples of Christ are doing here. John taught his disciples how to pray. Would you teach us to pray? And I think it's unique because when we think of John, do we think prayer warrior? No, I think of sort of this, you know, oddly dressed, 
unique diet. Prophet who wasn't afraid to call people out. You generation of vipers. John was someone who was noted for many other things. But here we see that he's also noted for his ability to pray and then his disciples' ability to pray. We know that John was filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth or conception. Jesus called John one of the greatest prophets. Or he said he's the greatest of the prophets. But still we find in John a praying man. I say that to make this point. In the life of Christ and in the life of even John is another example here. Though they had many resources, though they had great abilities, though they were used of God mightily, they still prayed. Often we put aside what seems to be, according to Scripture, our most useful tool, our most powerful tool, and that is simply praying. But isn't that why we put it aside? Because it's just simply praying. But here's John, the greatest of the prophets, filled with the Spirit, kicking in his mother's womb. Also note that Jesus prayed regularly and at every major point in his life. He prayed at his baptism. He prayed when he chose his disciples. He prayed for Peter when Satan desired to have him that he might sift him as wheat. He prayed at his transfiguration. He prayed in the garden prior to his arrest. He even prayed while he was up on the cross. We find him alone praying. We also find him out in public praying or with others around. Also want you to note the power of prayer. It was through prayer that Jesus communed with the Holy Spirit and received wisdom for teaching and the power to do miracles. I know we, we often mistake what's happening when Jesus is able to do these miracles. But you must remember that he became man. He laid aside some things and was fully man, 100% man. Though he remained 100% God, he lay aside part of his deities as Jesus the man. So how was he empowered? Well, we think, well, God can do anything. Sure. But in that instance when Jesus was able to feed 5,000, or in the instance when Jesus was able to heal the blind man, this came through the power of the Holy Spirit. He prayed. Through prayer, Jesus made disciples, choosing the twelve. Through prayer, Jesus did the work of evangelism, calling people to trust him as the Christ. Through prayer, Jesus lived glorifying God and was glorified by God. Through prayer, he carried forward the missionary work of the gospel. As I thought through those this week, I began to think to myself, I, I want to be in touch with the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to bless my teaching. I don't know that I want to be a miracle worker. It would be neat. It would be bad for my diet, though. Because if I could feed 5,000. <laughs> All right. I wore you out with jokes at Sunday school, evidently. <laughs> I want to make disciples. I want to do the work of evangelism. I want my life to glorify God. I want to do the missionary work of the gospel. But when I think about how to do all of these things, the thing that often is not a part of the planning is praying. Oh, well, we'll, we'll do this. We'll, we'll say, uh, well, here's the plan for how we're going to do this particular spiritual thing. And when we're done talking about it, we'll say, all right, well, let's pray and ask God to bless it. And I'm not telling you that thing is wrong. I'm not encouraging you to pray less. What I'm encouraging you to do is pray more. 
Jesus did all of these things, but they sort of grew up out of his praying. God, what can I do for you? Well, the first thing we need to do is just talk with him. This is Jesus' instruction here. Master, teach us to pray as you pray. And he says, well, okay, pray. I think if Jesus and John found praying this useful and this helpful, then we must as well. Warren Wiersbe wrote, Effective prayer is the provision for every need and the solution for every problem. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Prayer is the highest activity of the human soul. R.C. Sproul wrote, Those who are powerful in ministry are those who are also earnest in prayer. They know the source of their power. Jesus' pattern for his living arose out of his daily praying to God. Philip Ryken writes, Secret, fervent, believing prayer is at the heart of all personal godliness. The neglect of prayer can only lead to ruin. So we must consider this morning, have we learned to pray the way Jesus prayed? I'm going to say no for me. You can say what you need for yourself. But with this passage before me, as I say, no, I don't pray as Jesus prayed, then I'm going to say as the disciples cried out, Lord, teach us to pray. And boy, he does a swell job here. Notice his instruction with me in verses 2, 3, and 4. He said unto them, when you pray... Say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, in the Gospels outside of John, you typically find things to be very similar. Of the three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who will give you similar information the one who will often have something just a tad different or a little extra is Luke. Matthew and Mark are very similar. Once they began to follow Christ, lived very similar lives, Luke would be the, the one unique in that regard. He was a trained physician. He did do ministry and missionary journeys and the like. He was commissioned by someone named Theophilus to write this gospel account and the Acts of the Apostles. So when we see a difference in Luke based off what we know, I think we must understand that the Holy Spirit had Luke write it that way differently to catch our, catch our minds. How many of you know by memory the Lord's Prayer? Yeah. We could say it all together, you know, and often, and often we do. As we went through it this morning in the responsive reading, I noticed that some of you got kind of hung up there because you went ahead and said what you knew instead of what your eyes were seeing there. And as I read through it here, it didn't read like I'm used to quoting it. And I think there's some uniqueness there. And I'll point out some of those things to you. He begins in his instruction saying, All right, when you pray, say this. Our Father which art in heaven. Now, you and I have only ever prayed this way. Maybe as a child, you might have prayed, Dear Jesus... But typically, as Christian adults, we pray to Father God. And we'll say, Dear Lord, Father, Heavenly Father, something like this as we begin our praying. But I had never thought of this before, and I was reading after R.C. Sproul, and he points out that just these initial words was sort of a, 
was, a, was an innovative change for these Jesus was instructing here. For him to say, when you pray, say our Father, would have gone against everything they had always been raised to believe. It would be like if I told you, when you pray, when I come in this morning, if I said, you know, pray, dear ceiling, because you're looking up to the ceiling anyway. When you pray, you would say, well, no, that's weird. I'm not going to pray to the ceiling. And I realize that God and the Father are a little bit more one and the same, but I want you to see just how contrasting and shocking this would have been to the disciples. Sproul notes here, in Old Testament and other Jewish literature, they are prescribed prayers, there are prescribed prayers that were to be offered to God. Not a one addresses God in the personal form Jesus uses here. When we look at the prayers of Jesus on all but one occasion, he addresses God as Father. So at this point in history, this was an innovation of the most radical sort. Simply saying, our Father, instead of saying, God, when you bow to pray. And, and you can let your mind apply just how different that type of praying is. When I go and stand before a ju- judge, I don't have any familial relationship with him. And so I feel no warmness there. Either he's about to, you know, kind of hand it to me or he's about to let me off. Never actually stood before a judge. I did go down and try to debate a ticket one time. They told me I had to pay it anyways, and so I did. But I felt a little justified. Told them what I thought about it. Are there any police officers in here this morning? Be careful before I get myself in trouble. I told them I I come to pay my taxes. Your tax collector caught me out there on the road and wrote me a bill, so here I am. Isn't that horrible? You, You guys pray for me. But when I stand before my dad versus a judge, it's different. I don't know that I'd ever go to court and hug the judge. But I always hug dad. He's dad. I don't know that I would go to court and say, you know, call them by their name or anything other than your, you would say, what, your honor, right? So there's, there's this difference here. And the Jews for so long had prayed to Yahweh. Jehovah, Almighty God, all of these names and and references to him that they have. And they were reverent. And they were wonderful. And I'm not not demeaning that at all, but but I'm loving Jesus' change of pace here. It's the change of pace you and I get to pray in. When you pray, say this, Our Father, who art in heaven. It brings in this intimacy that otherwise wasn't there, this warmness. Jesus doesn't use all sorts of descriptive adjectives. He doesn't try to flatter God. He's not trying to pass a theological exam as he goes to pray. He's not trying to gain God's favor as he begins his praying. I do that often. Now, Lord, I know I'm not perfect. I don't really pray like this. I'm kind of putting on the dog for you guys a little bit. But I know I'm not perfect. But I need you again. So in spite of myself, would you please intervene and help me here? Because I really need it. Jesus isn't doing any of that. He doesn't say to do any of that. He says, address him as God. Adore him for being holy. And get down to business about what you need to pray to him about. In fact, as we get into this more and we begin to see his illustrations, we sort of find his tone light and happy a little bit. 
It's as if he's saying, the problem with you guys when you pray is that you, take, you waste all your time and you put God to sleep because you've got to call him by every name you can think of in that moment and you've got to self-justify, which just makes him want to puke. And then when you get done with all of that, you've made this guy nod off and you've made him upset at his stomach and then you say, but, but can I have this? And Jesus says, you want me to teach you to pray? Then go talk to your father like he's your father. Don't talk to him like you're introducing him before a king. Because you're not. He's ever with you and you're ever with him. As redeemed and righteous, you're, you're in his presence. or you, you should be walking daily in his presence. So talk to him in the moment. Jesus says here, when you pray, pray our Father. Just establish connection between two people. Two people who are committed. Are you in a covenant relationship with God? Then you're committed. Husbands and wives, do you take a long time to establish connection before you communicate? No. When Sinead calls me, I'll often say, you know, something, how can I help her? No, I don't say that. What do you need? What's up? Hey, that's usually it, isn't it? Hey. And then she won't, she won't say, dearest husband, <laughs> lover of my soul. <laughs> she doesn't speak to me in King James. You pray, you pray for her? No, she'll just say, the boys are acting like idiots. Would you do something? I say, sure I will. <laughs> and when I go to them, we have that father-son relationship. I don't say, now sons who are in my house, I come before you this morning <laughs> to address your fallacies before your mother. I'll say, boys, what are you doing? You're driving mom crazy. Please stop. Now, maybe I'm overdoing it a little bit, but, but I want to encourage you to pray. I don't think we should be disrespectful. I don't think we should be irreverent. When we talk to God, you know, it's not, hey, dude, how are you doing today? But Jesus does really lighten the load a bit here. These guys have been praying, Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, who is, who is to be, and that to come, or whatever it is we want to say sometimes. And Jesus said, okay, well, here's how, how's it, this is what you should do. If you want to pray like I pray, pray, pray to the Father. Often in our prayers, especially in corporate prayers or family prayers, public prayers where other people are hearing us, we often sort of pray at them. Preachers do this. I'm going to do it at the end of the sermon today. I've, I've dismissed the sermon, so you kind of let your guard down. I shouldn't tell you this. This is a trick. So you're like, whew, he's finally done. And then I'll say, but let's pray. And I'll re-preach my sermon usually to you right there in the moment. I'll give it to you quicker that way. So if you want to like zone out the whole sermon but know what to pre I preach so you can talk to me at the end of the service out here, just listen in the prayer. I usually even give the three points all over again. It's a good drink. That's helpful, isn't it? Yeah. But I'm, I, am I talking to God there? Am I just still talking to you guys? I'm just still talking to you. No, I address it to God. I'll say, now, Lord, help, help us to do this, this, and this. Really, we should just talk to the Father. 
There's a good illustration of this from President Lyndon Johnson. They were having a staff lunch and his press secretary, Bill Moyers, is that how you say his last name? I wasn't around then. Moyers, you get some confirmation there? Okay. Bill Moyers was praying at this staff lunch and the president couldn't hear him, so he said, speak up, Bill, I can't hear a thing. And his press secretary said back to him, I wasn't addressing you, Mr. President. He was talking to the Lord, right? When we pray, we talk to God. So Jesus says, when you pray, say, Our Father. And then he says, pray, hallowed be thy name. This just means, let your name be made holy. Or holy is your name. We pray for God's name to be made holy. We're acknowledging the purity of his eternal being. So we, we kind of move here from, this is my heavenly father who loves me, who gave his son to die for me. I'm in this covenant relationship with him. To, but he's holy and I'm not. That kind of puts it on level ground, doesn't it? God, you've allowed me constantly in your presence. You've told me to come boldly before your throne. He's going to say here in just a minute, Jesus is going to say, when you go to God, just ask. Seek, knock. We're teaching our youngest to knock right now. It's funny, he doesn't mind talking sometimes as much as he minds knocking. Knocking seems so official. Who is it? It's Parker. (laughs) What do you need? Um, can I come in? No, we didn't say come in. We said, what do you need? It's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? But before he learned to knock, the, the practice was, and probably this way with all of our children, was just to come to the door and say, Dad, Mom, I need something. And just yell through the door what, what you need. So we, you know, we try to teach him things and knock on the door. Well, Jesus says this here. When you, when you go to God, just, just ask. If you're searching for something Seek it through him, you'll find it. But in this regard, he just he brings into this thing, there's a reason why you're doing the praying and he does the answering. You're not holy and he is. And at best, we're made holy in Christ's righteousness, not even our own, right? And we're, we're thankful for the gospel in that. So we pray this, declaring God's character, declaring that he is set apart from sin, Declaring that his attributes are absolute in their perfection. We're praying for him to display his holiness in our life and in the world. We're praying that he might be reverenced and that he might be magnified and that he might be adored. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, Presbyterian theologian, died in the late 90s. He put out praying this way and and I like it. He called it acts, praying, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. This is based off what Jesus is saying here. You, you come to, a, to him as father, but then you adore him as holy, the holy one. Adoration, it's worshipful. God's name represents all that he is. So we pray for there to be holiness on earth and respect for his holiness on the earth. Mostly, though, I I think what this is establishing is that we are not equals. We're we're allowed to come boldly to the throne room, but remember, it is a throne room. And then he sits on the throne. 
and wonderfully that we can come there. We're coming to him because he is on the throne and he can do something about the situation. And, and we couldn't come in except that we've been made sons through the Son. But nevertheless, we understand that he is holy. Hallowed be thy name. And then Jesus says, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Now here you find a, a, a Luke flip. What are, what are we used to saying? On earth as it is in heaven. Okay, that makes the, and I'm not saying the other gospel writers are wrong. The Holy Spirit inspired all this, but what does Luke want us to think about differently? We're not careful as humans, and we say this prayer over and over and over again. We should say it before every ball game in school. Father who art, the, you know, the coach will say, all right, let's pray. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're kind of praying earth, earth-centric. Luke flips that on us there and makes us pray heaven-centric. He says, Jesus says, pray that God's will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Makes us think about heaven first. It's minor, but it's unique. McDonald writes, to pray, thy kingdom come. We have prayer that the day will soon arrive when God will put down the forces of evil and in the person of Christ reign supreme over the earth where his will shall be done as it is in heaven. We must always remember that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on the earth. And then... As Bible-believing Christians, we understand that God's will will be done on the earth because he is sovereign. So when our prayers aren't answered just as we say, we still must understand that what we prayed for happened. Lord, we prayed this and why, why didn't it happen? Because something trumped that happening. And what was that? God's sovereignty and his good pleasure. I can still rest in that. It may not go exactly how I, I thought it should be and how I was praying that things should go. But, but who is all wise, me or God? Don't answer that publicly. You might hurt my feelings. We often kind of presume upon God our own wisdom as if we know how this is how things should be going in the world. So, Lord, we're coming before you and we're praying that you do this because it's what we want. And I think that's okay. It's what we expect. still think that's all right. But we might step over a line when we say, it's either this or it's wrong. That can't be. Because if God has let it happen, then it is right. This is a tough week to preach that, isn't it? But it's what we believe. So to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth, is a prayer asking God to use us for his purposes, whatever they may be. And then Jesus said, pray, give us day by day our daily bread. Again, another Lukeism. What do we typically say there? Give us this day our daily bread. Luke kind of drives that part, point home just a little further and saying, give us day by day. This is Luke's way of saying, for today, give me my daily bread. The Israelites didn't like that system, did they, in the wilderness? 
We, we don't like it either now. We're, we're in, kind of living in the promised land. They, they wanted to get to the promised land. Their disobedience didn't allow them into the promised land. But they liked the idea better of having their own little garden and their own little crops and their own trees to get their stuff on as they wanted to get it. But they could see it and they knew it was there. This is human tendency and human nature. But it's not how God wants our relationship to be. Do you know why we don't pray more? Because we don't need to. Or we think we don't need to. I don't know in my life that I've ever prayed, give me bread for today. Because there was bread in the cupboard. Now, what, now how are we to be better Christians? Go home and empty our cupboards? No. And this doesn't even have to be applied physically. We live in a great time of much. There's a lot, isn't there, in life. There's, there's plenty of stuff. And I know we, we're in an odd time right now where supply chains are all out of whack and maybe something you need you can't quite get, but you have plenty of other things. But I think in these times of bounty then, we must be on the alert that we don't stop depending upon God for everything. Give us day by day our daily bread. This is a physical, but it is also a spiritual need. God designed our existence to always be needing food. Who all has already eaten this today? You've eaten food today. Some of you are odd. The rest of us have eaten. How many of you are going to eat again today? All right, now let's really get real with each other. We're a faith family. We should know about each other. How many are going to eat two more times today? Yes. It's a holiday. Two more times, dessert, bedtime snack. The whole deal, right? Are we spiritually disinclined? You can often find that as God created human beings and their, their physical needs and what it takes for us to, to live spiritually, it's just as applicable there in the spiritual realm. In the human body, the life is in the what? Blood. Well, spiritually, the life is in the blood. And so it is with praying. Just as we need food and water to sustain ourselves, we need communion with God to sustain ourselves. And just as we like to eat more than once a day, Jesus says, hey, you, you, wanna, you want me to show you what real praying is like? You eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Why do you just pray to God once a day or ever so often or in some routine? If I walked up to you and said, you, you want some M&Ms? You'd say yes, and you'd have some M&Ms. Well, why don't we pray like that? I like this in the church, so I'm, I don't mean to be negative against it, but it does point out, this. it does make this point for me. It's a special thing when we're talking to someone, and in the moment, they'll say, well, well, let's just pray about it. Isn't that great? Don't you like it when people do that? You know, maybe put their hand on your shoulder and just say, let's just give this thing to the Lord. But, but it shouldn't be quite so formal and it shouldn't be quite so rarely happening that it is a special thing. You understand that? Anything that any of us ever talk to each other about, and like I know you're going to have a hard time leaving church today because you're going to be thinking, everything somebody says to me, I've got to pray with them about now? Is this, is this what I'm supposed to do? Well, it's maybe the, the nursery hymn we teach to the children. 
Whisper a prayer in the morning, whisper a prayer at noon, whisper a prayer in the evening. Good job. We sang a duet in church this morning to keep your heart in tune. No different. You ate this morning, you're going to eat this afternoon. Some of you are eating as you came into church this morning. It's great. It was funny. I, we're, we're, we're near the end of our time in the Bib Center, and I, I asked them, I said, what, we've used the space pretty heavily. What should we do? I said, should we paint? So we got chairs all around the wall there. I think we've probably scuffed the paint. And they were like, no, we already had plans to paint. We don't want you guys to do it. Well, what can we do? Can we replace the carpet? And he was like, no, why don't you have the carpet cleaned? And I said, okay. He said, you coffee-drinking, snack-eating Baptist. <laughs> That's the one I got amens on. Some of you shouted to the Lord on that. Man. Here's how you pray. Be more concerned about prayer than coffee. What was that? Yes, for sure. For sure, yes. That may be why he didn't want us to change the carpet. He knew it split the church to pick the color. For sure. So Jesus says, pray, give us our daily bread. Always be dependent upon God. And then he says, verse 4, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Probably how else you've heard this is, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Sort of similar, but Luke adds a different word here, doesn't he? The, the one on the other side of us is still called a indebted. But for us, what does he call us? Sinners. Luke says, when you pray, ask God to forgive. He doesn't say trespasses. We know that's sin. Not debts. No, he just says, ask God to forgive your sins. We need forgiveness of sins each day. And then... There's this qualifying statement attached to this. When you pray, pray to God, forgive us our sins based off of something else. Notice the punctuation there. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. That makes it a little harder to pray, doesn't it? See, I love to pray to God, please forgive me of my sins. And he's promised in his word that he'll wash me white as snow. Man, but when we have to base that upon how I'm going to forgive other people, that's tough. I don't know that I treat other people with forgiveness as God treats me or as I expect Him to. And Jesus kind of puts it out here. If you're not treating other people that way, maybe you don't pray that God would treat you that way. A little harder to pray, forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins. We're not being so forgiving. Refusing to forgive others reveals our own sin and then our own need for God's forgiveness. We're to be concerned with our relationships with God, but also with our relationships with others. So Jesus says, pray. Pray to your Father, but worship Him as holy. Pray for His will to be done in your life and in your living Pray be dependent upon him fully. Pray with a forgiving heart, seeking his forgiveness. And then pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think this is Jesus saying, and there's a lot of debate here on 
what is being said because we know that God tempts no man. We know that in the larger sense, he's already delivered us from evil, those who pray. What is Jesus saying here? He's, he's saying, Lord, deliver us from situations that would cause us to sin. This is Jesus instructing us to be always mindful of our sinful potential. I like the hymn that says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I think Jesus is saying here, when you pray, pray, God, help me not to fall into sinning. Keep my desires for sin separate from the opportunities to sin. Don't let these things overlap in my day. That's a good prayer. So this is Jesus' instruction. His disciples have expressed an interest. Teach us to pray. And he says, well, well, here's my instruction on prayer. Now, this is a model. I wouldn't say this is magical. You know, when, when we're a child, maybe we have a bad dream. And our parents tell us, well, to pray, when I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And with childlike faith, that it kind of becomes a little magical, doesn't it? What time I'm afraid, I'll trust in thee. What time I'm afraid, I'll trust in thee. What time I'm afraid, I'll trust in thee. This is not Jesus' instruction with this prayer. It's a, it's a model. It's not magical, and it's for sure not a mantra. It is initially heavenly focused. It's a, it's a vertical prayer. When you pray, address the Father. And then once we've worshipped the Father and addressed the Father, it becomes a horizontal prayer. It's earthly focus. Give us our daily bread. Forgive our sins. Help us to avoid the temptation and the opportunity to sin. I also want you to realize here that Jesus uniquely instructs this prayer to be in plural pronouns. It's not I, me, my. It says, give us our daily bread. Forgive our sins as we collective forgive. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. So this is not just a prayer for the individual. I'm not saying it can't be that. But I want you to understand that this type of praying is for the family. It's for the covenant community. This is praying for the church as a group. Something likely we've lost in the modern American church where we all have our own places and we all have our own stuff and we all have our own resources. We've lost the family sense of the gathering of the church. Maybe you grew up in a time where it wasn't that way or maybe in a unique church where it wasn't that way. Praise the Lord. I want our church to be that way. Every gathering, a family reunion. You go and you see your mothers and your fathers and your cousins and your aunts and your uncles in the Lord. We don't have to refer to each other that way. We're not going to be Mormons. But I hope we feel that way. I hope we care that way. I hope we can relate that way. This is for sure how Jesus intended it to be. Give us, forgive us as we. All these plural pronouns. Now, he ends this with some illustrations. And I'll give you these and I'll be finished. 
beginning in verse 5 down through verse 8. His first illustration is basically intended to teach us to be persistent in praying. Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, well, well, let me tell you a story, he says. Now, listen to the story from verse 8. He said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. All right, now you guys quickly fill in the details of the story before we read the rest. I show up at your house tonight at midnight, bang on the door, and say, I need three loaves. Give me some responses. Go to Dollar General. Rory's preaching this morning. Remember the family aspect of this? This is the problem. We all live within this close of a Dollar General sign. All right, what was the other one? Somebody else had one. What's that? Okay, I don't have it. Hmm? I'm nuts. Oh, come on. It's midnight. What are you doing? Yeah, you woke me up. You could have waited till in the morning. I'm sleeping. I, I, I'd have to have my, my phone turns itself off at bedtime. It just flips over. If you, if you really have an, an emergency, you may have to call multiple times to get it to like, let it go through. Don't do that if, if you need three loaves. So we understand the objections here. This is part of Jesus' story. I think it's lighthearted. I think it illustrates the point very well, though. Okay, keep reading with me. Verse 6. The guy's not nuts. He has a reason. A friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. So I came to your house, and I knocked on the door at midnight, and I said, Hey, I need three loaves of bread. One of these families that drive 15 passenger vans and have lots of kids showed up at my house unannounced, and we're out of bread, and they're hungry. Did I offend some of you? We're well on our way. We got four. We, you know, get 15 passenger vans to us for a long day. So he had a reason. He wasn't quite so nuts. He said, somebody came to my house and I didn't have it. I'm hoping you have it. Verse 7. Jesus, understanding our humanity, says, the man who is inside the house shall answer and say, trouble me not. Now that's uh, some some pretty good translation from Greek there. Somebody put it into Southern English. Don't bother me. Leave me alone. Yes. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. Now, you're thinking three-bedroom, two-bath ranch, kids that are down the hall, mom and dad. It's a split floor play. Mom and dad are over here by the garage, right? That's the ideal American home, I think. This is not the case here. The door might have been a, a, a large stone. It might have been some sort of movable built wood structure. The house might have been a lean-to, a dugout even. They had structures then. I don't want you to think that they didn't. But the idea of him saying the door is shut means it's going to take some effort to get it open. We only close it at night and we only open it in the morning. I only want to have to do this twice a day because it's a lot of work. And then their, their, their houses would not have been like with many rooms like ours now. It would have had an entryway that was ground level. You would have even put animals in there if it was really cold or whatever. This is likely where Jesus was born. We like to think of them out back in some barn that had hay in this you know, built structure that we call a manger. That's not exactly the case. 
These houses would have had an upper level then, just maybe a step up to keep you out of the, the rainwater. If it were to run into the house, the animals can be in that, but not you. And there would have been a place to sleep up there. And, it, you know, little Johnny didn't have his own bed. You needed to stay warm. So everybody just cuddle, cuddled together there in the bed all together. What do you know about littles once you get them to sleep? The worst thing you can do is wake them up. Amen, mothers? Many nights of my life, I have come home late at night, and my wife would say something like, if you wake up the children, I won't tell you the rest. These guys, this guy's knocking, hey, I need something to eat. He says, it's late, the door is closed, and the kids are asleep. If I wake them up now, they're going to stay up all night, then we're going to have a miserable day tomorrow. What's going on? He said, well, Unexpected company showed up and I wasn't ready. Verse 8. Jesus said, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because of his because he is his friend. Some kind of friend, right? He says, just because of his friendship, he's not getting out of bed and helping this guy. Yet because of his importunity. He will rise and give him as many as he needeth. So Jesus said, there's a reason that he won't help, but there's a reason that he does help. And this is important. What does the word importunity mean? It's an odd word. It means pr pretty directly, the best I can give you, shameless persistence to avoid being shamed. Shame, a very big deal in their culture. Still kind of in ours, but probably not as much as in their culture. Jesus says, though he wouldn't help him because he's his friend, because he doesn't want him to be shamed in front of his company, he'll get up and help him. Now what is Jesus doing here? He's revealing to human minds, best we can, the mind of God. Because of his shameless persistence to avoid being shamed, his friend got out of bed and helped him. This friend did not want to be bothered. Now, I think it's already clear in, in, to the praying person, according to the mind of God, he wants to be bothered. He tells us to pray. He asks us to pray. So in that regard, this is, this is not that. This is not someone who says, I don't want to get out of bed to help you, because our God never sleeps. Now that's an encouragement in our praying, isn't it? You're never going to wake him up late at night. It's never too late. It's never the wrong time. You can never ask for the wrong thing. Well, I don't have it. He has everything. Persistent prayer isn't nagging God to get God to change his mind. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is teaching, be steadfast. Be always praying about everything. And God, who loves you and cares for you, will work in your life, especially in times where his glory is on the line for the sake of your testimony. Though he wouldn't get out of bed because he was his friend, he said, because of his importunity. Because he was in a condition where this was going to become a shameful thing in his life, he got out of bed to help him. Often we will pray to God out of our greed and we wonder why it's not answered. 
I don't know that God will work toward our greed, but he for sure will take care of our needs. We covered Matthew 6 a little already this morning. Don't take any thought what you're going to eat. Don't take any thought what you're going to drink. Don't take any thought of what clothing you're going to put on. Your father knows you have need of these things. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the flowers. He'll take care of you. So Jesus says in his illustration, you know how you should pray? You should pray with persistence. And then he says, pray with persistence because God is good. His next illustration is verse 9 through 13 where we close. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. I love this. It, it only works in the English. So we don't want to make it doctrinal. But in the English we can make it stick in our minds. And make it still very unique. Ask, seek, and knock. A-S-K which spells ask. How should I pray? You should be asking, you should be seeking, you should be knocking. It's the ask method of praying. I love that there in the scriptures. In fact, James will confirm that for us. James 4.2 said, you have not because you ask not. R.C. Sproul said, consider the riches we have lost from our father's house because we have simply failed to ask for them. Oh, I don't know if I want to consider that. He is vastly rich in all things. And you mean to tell me there are things that I'm missing out on life just because I wouldn't ask? Oh, I need to pray more. Jesus follows this with some rhetorical questions. And if you, if you miss the lightheartedness of the personality of Christ, verses like this would help you with that just a bit. And I don't mean silliness goofiness. I don't want to portray Jesus that way. He was a mighty warrior. But, but Jesus never had anxieties that caused sin because he was sinless. So often our seriousness is due to our stressfulness. That would be absent in the life of Christ were you around him. In fact, he might have drove a nervous person crazy because he wasn't a little nervous with him. Notice what he says. If a son asks bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? What's the answer to the rhetorical question? No, oh, of course not. If he asks a fish, will he give him? Will he for a fish give him a serpent? No. If he asks an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Now, i got to admit, this was heavy on my brain this morning as I ate my eggs. I checked underneath them. My wife fried me some eggs this morning. I looked underneath just to make sure. Now, Jesus really smacks us here. You knew the answer to all those questions. And he says, well, if you're you, evil people, do you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children? Isn't that insulting? If you guys know to do this, horrible evil people, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask you? So pray with persistence, but then pray knowing that God is good. Even the evil know how to give good gifts. Well, then how much more would our good God? And, and often you and I have limitations, and he has none. There's no limit to his power. There's no limit to his ability. There's no limit to his knowledge. There's no limit to his love. 
We should pray knowing that our limitless God is always almightily good. And here's our prayers in that respect. He's not going to give us a stone if we ask for bread. Now there might be times that he, he might withhold some bread. But even then it could just be to cause us to be dependent. But he's not going to give us a stone. And then there's one final thing that we would call a Lukeism here that you won't find in the other gospel accounts. Luke goes ahead and takes Jesus to the end of the thing here as he quotes Jesus in saying, How much more shall your Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now this brings Jesus' instruction full circle. What is the answer to all of your prayers? It's the Holy Spirit. I mean, we, we pray for bread and we want to God to bring loaves to the front door. But often we need to listen to his spirit within us that will lead us to where the loaves are that he has for us. And it might be the front door, but it might be the neighbor's house. Jesus saying here, you guys want me to show you how to pray like me? He says, well, well, here's a model. And here's some illustrations to help your understanding. But he said, the best of this all is, is what God really wants to give you, is himself in the form of his spirit. Now, you want to know what good praying is? It's praying in the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. He says, you guys have grown up. You've, you've played, prayed these routine prayers. You've, you've gone through these timely prayers. At this feast you pray this. And at this, this worship gathering you pray this. And you pray it in this way. When you're supposed to be sober, you're sober. When you're supposed to be jubilant, you're jubilant. You do all of these things. These things are fine. But, but here's what I want you to know. Would any of you, if your son asked for bread, give him a rock? Of course you wouldn't. And God is ultimately good and you're still evil. So pray and ask him. If you ask, it'll be given unto you. If you seek, you will find it. If you knock, the door will be open for you. But he said in all of these things, instead of praying for this, that, or the other, here's what I would tell you. And I, and I just kind of picture Jesus with a big smile on his face. Not like I know something that you don't know. Or not like a, it's silly that you have to ask me this. But you ever had the opportunity to tell somebody something that you knew they didn't know and you knew it was just golden, you just knew it was great and it was special, and you couldn't help but grin when you told them? No, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. This is great. I could kind of just see Jesus with this look on his face saying, all right, I've said all that, but let me tell you what to pray. Just ask him for the Holy Spirit. You want, you want to pray like Jesus? Pray in the Spirit. It's a wonderful end to this instruction, isn't it? You and I, we live in the day and age where Pentecost has happened. The Holy Spirit has come. Now everyone who is saved is baptized, indwelled by God's Holy Spirit. It should be that we're always filled with the Spirit, that we're never quenching the Spirit. And so that when we pray, we're not praying in the flesh, we're always praying in the Spirit. But I wonder, do we lose sight of that? Because where's the joy in our praying? Where's the communion in our praying? Maybe you're to a point in your spiritual life where you're saying to yourself, I hear you, but boy, my praying is awfully one-sided these days. 
I say a lot of words, but I don't get a lot of answers. Jesus has said here, because of your importunity, God will provide. And he's not going to give you a stone or a serpent or a snake. He, he wants to give you good things. Why don't you ask him for the Holy Spirit? If you're unsaved, I would encourage you to ask for the Holy Spirit. He will indwell you and he will change you. But Christians, the Holy Spirit is to be daily a gift to you from our good God. Do you remember what Jesus said his role would be? Paul wrote it this way. He said, the Holy Spirit would come and be the earnest of our inheritance. Well, our inheritance is to be like Christ with Christ before God someday. So what does the earnest mean? It's the down payment on that. It's, it's this before that. And this before that needs to be in that direction. Or it doesn't count. If you're, men, if you're, if you're going to marry a lady who expects to have a, a church wedding with everybody dressed to the nine formal as can be, you don't propose at the Waffle House. Did Garrett propose at the Waffle House? Right before we went to <laughs> Way to go, Garrett. <laughs> he is what he is. I'm proud of Garrett. Garrett loves Waffle House, for those of you who didn't know. If you want to know what to get Garrett for his birthday, the guy who keeps you safe during church out front, you get him some Waffle House. He'll be happy about that. Sometimes on Sunday afternoons, I lay in bed and try to take a little nap, and I think, how did I get on some of this stuff? What's wrong with me? I have issues. No, you, 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 you propose to that lady at the white tablecloth restaurant. You probably should put a tie on that night. You get down on one knee. When you open the box, it better shine very well. There's the expectation that's there that must be met. Well, I'm going to tell you, if God's expectation is eternal bliss, sinlessness, a new heaven, a new earth, ruling and reigning, and all of the other things, walls of jasper, jasper, gates of pearl, I mean, just go through the whole list. If that's the expectation, well, what must the earnest be? That's the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to renew our faith in praying and to begin to form the habit of praying without ever ceasing. Father, I pray for the unsaved this morning to be praying like the publican we find in Luke 18 as he kind of stood off to himself. He wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. And he prayed simply, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Thank you for time that you've given us together in your word. Now, please bless this time as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Ms. Wiggins is going to.